So this fall, we are wrestling with tough questions of faith asked by Jesus throughout the various Gospels. And I'm recommending a book by Martin Copenhaver called Jesus is the Question. If you want a resource to go with it, we have it in our bookstore. You can get it on uh, Amazon or online. Um, but today we come to what I think is perhaps the or one of the most profound questions in all of Christianity. Jesus says, do not judge so that you may not be judged, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye? But do not recognize the log in your own eye. Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. Let me repeat the question this morning. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? Put differently, why do you want to point out what's wrong with everybody else, but you never seem to take ownership of your own issues, your own character flaws, and your own shortcomings? Now, the easy answer to this question is it's easier it's so much easier for me to point out what's wrong with you so that I don't have to think about what's wrong with me. Because when I point out what is wrong with you, I don't have to focus on what's wrong with me and it makes me feel a lot better about myself. If I can spend my time pointing out what's wrong with you, I don't have to think about my own problems or issues. But Jesus is saying, do not judge so that you may not be judged, the measure you give will be the measure you get. The way you judge other people will be the same judgment that comes back on you. Now, in case you haven't heard or noticed, this pandemic has taken judgment to all new levels. I don't even need to really explain this. Of course, it's judgment about masks and vaccines, but it's really judgment related to basically everything. Over the past 20 months, people have become incredibly judgmental about all kinds of things because they are stressed out and their patience has worn thin. Now, why do we judge others? That's a question worth asking and answering this morning. There are lots of answers to that, but I have three in mind that I want to share with you this morning. The first is we judge others because of jealousy. We are jealous of what other people have. We don't have what other people have, and we wish we did. And in this age of social media, this has become a really big problem. And typically, jealousy always comes from a place of insecurity. We don't feel good about ourselves or our lives, so we judge others. When maybe deep down, what we're really thinking is, I want what they have. Jealousy and its evil twin, envy, are sins that make us miserable. In his book, Enemies of the Heart, Andy Stanley says, there will always be someone who's richer, skinnier, more talented, better connected, or just plain luckier than you. And until you find a way to deal with your jealous heart, 
you'll be unable to follow the most basic of all Christian tenets, love one another. Now, envy is a powerful force that can wreak irreparable damage on any relationship or any organization. And we've all seen how that can be true. The second reason I think people judge is we don't really know somebody. And generally speaking, it's much easier to judge somebody that we don't know. They are different. They are not like us. They have a different background or a different belief system or different politics. Those Republicans, they only care about themselves. Those Democrats just want to raise everybody's taxes. And so basically, uh, when we don't know somebody well and we don't really have a relationship with them, it's so easy to judge them because we don't know them and we don't know where they're coming from. The third reason that we judge is self-righteousness. Some people are so self-righteous that they think they are perfect. And everybody else is the problem. If only the world had more people like me, it would be a better place. If only other people could act the way I act, we'd have fewer problems, right? But have you ever noticed that the most self-righteous people in our culture are usually the least self-aware? Let me say that again you weren't listening? Have you noticed that the most self-righteous people in our culture are usually the least self-aware? They have no idea how they come across. Let me tell you a true story. Earlier this summer, after 16 fun months of dealing with COVID, after 16 months of emails telling me what the church should or should not do, after running a capital campaign, after raising $9 million, after overseeing a building project, and I don't know if you've ever seen one at home or at work, neither one of them are very much fun, uh, I was exhausted. I was tired. I was frustrated. I was irritable. And thank God I had a sabbatical this summer that was on the books because I needed it. I needed a break, I needed time away, I needed to refill my own cup. Being in the ministry is, is kind of like being on an airplane. You have to secure your own oxygen mask before you can go and help other people secure theirs. But unfortunately, somebody had taken my oxygen mask and had thrown it to the back of the plane. I couldn't find it. And it became clear to me during that time that all human beings have a breaking point a point that they cannot be pushed beyond. And the closer we get to that breaking point, the more self-righteous and judgmental we tend to become and the less self-aware we are. The people who always think they are right are typically the people who are the least self-aware. And they're not self-aware because they are too busy pointing out what's wrong with everybody else. And yet, when you're pointing out what's wrong with everybody else, you always have three fingers pointing right back to the primary source of most of your problems in life. So I think people judge in life because they are jealous or envious or they really don't know somebody or, or they're self-righteous in an unhealthy way. In fact, that's one of the most common criticisms labeled against Christians. They're too self-righteous. But Jesus is asking the question, why are you so busy pointing out what's wrong with everybody else that you can't see that you've got a log, a plank in your own eye? 
Aren't you going to deal with your own issues before you point out what's wrong with everybody else? My friend Adam Hamilton, a Methodist pastor in Kansas City, raises some very important and intriguing questions around this particular text in Matthew's Gospel. He says, what is it in us that leads us to need to point out the flaws in others when we've got so many flaws of our own? Why do we take delight in criticizing others behind their backs? Why do we feel the need to offer unsolicited advice when nobody asked us? What leads us to be blind to our own shortcomings? Why do we have 20-20 vision when it comes to the shortcomings of others? It doesn't take a clinical psychologist to observe that often the things that we're most critical of in other people are the things that we dislike in ourselves. So the important question is, how do we deal with the log? Here's some thoughts. First, I would say this. We need to go to people that we trust and ask them to give us honest feedback. So I have an assignment for you this week, church homework, if you want to call it that. Choose two people that you respect and trust and ask them either today or tomorrow, because after tomorrow you'll probably forget about it, right? Ask them to name three things that you do well in your life, affirm that, and then ask them to name one thing that you need to work on. Do it. You'll be affirmed in what you do well, and you can then recognize where you need to do some work. Now, this has to be people who we believe have our best interests at heart, not people who want to tear us down, not people who want to hurt us, but people that we know and love. So it might be a spouse. It might be a sibling. It might be a close friend or a work colleague. Ask them the question and then listen to what they have to say. Thank them for their feedback, and then maybe work to make some changes. And guess what? This might be hard, especially if both people happen to tell you the same thing that you need to work on. It might hurt a little bit, but you will become a better person. You will become more self-aware. It will give you a starting point in your life. My, my friend Hunter Mobley will be back, not this week, but next week to do a two-week series on the Enneagram marriage and relationships. And the Enneagram, as many of you have known over the years, is simply a tool. It's a personality typing system that helps us recognize what we need to work on, the ways that we act and behave when we get stressed, the ways that we act and behave when we're healthy. It also helps us give, give more empathy and understanding to other people. Because here's the deal, everybody is wired differently. We don't see the world the same way. We don't have the same education or experiences. We don't have the same knowledge and perspective, and that's always been true. Secondly, to take the log out of our own eye, we have to understand the human condition and the Christian concept of sin. We are all broken to some degree. It's simply a part of being human. We are imperfect beings, and we all do and we all say things that we know we shouldn't, every single one of us. Paul describes it this way in Romans. I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. 
We know we shouldn't get angry, but we do. We know we should eat healthy, but we still get the double cheeseburger and double dogs anyway. We know we shouldn't waste money, but we still order all kinds of junk off Amazon, largely because we're bored, we think we need it. We know we shouldn't gossip, but we find ourselves passing along rumors and we have no idea if they're actually true or not. We know we shouldn't drink and drive, but we get behind the wheel after a few too many glasses of wine, we feel fine. We know we shouldn't skip church, it's COVID, but it's so easy to have a lazy Sunday. I'm so glad y'all are here this morning. Paul says, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. This is the human dilemma. This is how I understand sin, and we're all sinful, which is why we need Jesus and we need forgiveness. But instead of living in despair because of our sinful nature, we, 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 we need to find healthy ways to do better, to live better. Many churches that you go to will beat you down because you're a sinful human being. I'd rather acknowledge it and say, now what can I do to be better in life? One of the topics that I uh, get to teach in classes at Vanderbilt is the concept of emotional intelligence. And by the way, I don't get to teach this because I've mastered it, but because I think it's really, really important. Daniel Goldman, a psychologist from Harvard, defines emotional intelligence this way. He says, it's the ability to rein in emotional impulses, to read another's innermost feelings, and to handle relationships smoothly. He says there, there are five basic components to emotional intelligence. The first is self-awareness, the ability to recognize and understand personal moods and emotions and drives, as well as their effect on others. And remember what I said earlier, the most self-righteous people are usually the least self-aware. The second is self-regulation, the ability to control or redirect disruptive impulses and moods and the propensity to suspend judgment and to think before acting. Remember, ready, fire, aim. No, ready, aim, fire. We dropped the ball on this one. The third is internal motivation, a propensity to pursue goals with energy and persistence. Hallmarks include a strong drive to achieve optimism even in the face of failure and organizational commitment. The fourth is empathy, the ability to understand the emotional makeup and needs of other people. And the fifth is social skills, being able to manage relationships, build networks, and find common ground. Now, emotional intelligence helps us deal with the shortcomings of the human condition. It helps us deal with our sinful nature. It helps us become better people and learning these life skills, I believe, is a lifelong progress because as soon as we think we've started to master them, we drop the ball. The final way that we can take the log out of our own eye is to learn what it means to be humble. Remember when Lee Camp was here this summer and he preached on Micah 6, do justice, love kindness, walk humbly, with God. In fact, it might even be true that the only way that we can even walk with God is humbly. And doesn't life have a way of humbling us? One of the best expositions on humility that I've ever read comes at the end of a book that's called The Road to Character, 
where the author says, we have an innate tendency towards selfishness and overconfidence. We have a tendency to see ourselves as the center of the universe, as if everything revolves around us. We resolve to do one thing, but we end up doing the opposite. We know what is deep and important in life, but we still pursue the things that are shallow and vain. Humility is the greatest virtue. Humility is having an accurate assessment of your own nature and your own place in the cosmos. Pride is the central vice because pride blinds us to our own weaknesses and misleads us into thinking that we are better than we are. Pride makes us cold-hearted and, and cruel. Because of pride, we try to prove that we are better than those around us. And so humility is perhaps the greatest virtue when it comes to taking the log out of our own eye. As C.S. Lewis once said, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking about yourself less. I like that definition. Now, to make this point, Jesus tells us another story in Luke 18. Do you remember this one? Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. Ha! But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but fail to recognize the log in your own eye? Go talk to those two people. This might be the best thing that you do. Amen.